one of the greatest guitarists of all time. From Fierce Heart to White Cross to King James to the Rex Carroll Band and many other projects, Rex Carroll himself coming up on the Classic Christian Rock Podcast. Classic Christian Rock Podcast. With Pastor Wildman and Steve Perkins. Classic Christian Rock Podcast. You can find us at class, Classic Christian Rock Zine, Z-I-N-E dot com. And uh, with me today is my co-host, Steve Perkins, Latin teacher and metal and rock enthusiast. How are you doing today, Steve? Doing just fine, wild man. It's great for you to join me again. You know, we talked before that uh, if we keep doing this, I mean, we're going to spend too much time talking about this. Um, our the eras that we come from connect so well. Um, we are kindred spirits. Um, we could have been brothers very easily. So glad to have you with, with me again. Always good to talk good classic rock. So I'm excited today because our guest today is somebody that, um, when I was in high school, really made an impact on my life and um, incredible guitarist. Um, I, I, I never want to use the term idol, but he was very close to that and still is. Um, I just want to welcome to the program here, Mr. Rex Carroll. Rex, how are you doing, sir? Well, thank you very much, Chad. And Steve, nice to see you again as well. It's great to be here. Yes, we, we are, we're just excited to be able to, to uh, have this time just to just to talk to you, um, to to hear what God is doing in your life, what he's done in your ministry before. And as a guitar player, as you know, we've t- talked about through text, um, uh, I have quite a few questions for you just about guitar technique, but, you know, we don't have to get into all of that, but I'm just curious about some things. Um, I've got plenty of uh, incorrect answers to go around. <laughs> that sounds great, yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, so to begin with, um, what is your motivation? And what I mean by that is when I first heard Nagasaki, I was in high school. Somebody told me, have you ever heard of Nagasaki? And I said, I, what are you talking about? Are you talking about the, the war? Or, and got the, then I got the White Cross album, and then I listened to this solo. And I, as, I, as I told Steve, I was literally hypnotized just because of the – it just – was as a as a beginning guitarist at the time it just sucked me right in and i'm just curious you've done quite a few instrumentals over the years um when it comes to instrumental for the solos what is it that motivates you how do you decide what you're going to do well you you've kind of asked a two-part question there and and mr Wildman, i'll try to stick with that moniker um, <laughs> um so anyways you said, what is, what is your motivation? And all I can tell you is that uh, growing up through high school years, I was typical, um, a lot of uh, um, not well-adjusted kids who didn't know how to relate to the world. So I wasn't a star at sports or anything like that, and I was too shy to talk to girls. So I didn't really know how to relate to the world, so I just – hold up in my bedroom at home with my guitar and you know a lot of kids do that they compensate uh they find an outlet so that's what i did and i learned um that i could relate to how i feel about life and how i feel about the world and how i want to communicate 
to the world through music. And, and it's obviously, you know, it's music is, is a language and this is why people will, they will have passionate arguments to the death about, you know, favorite bands, favorite guitar player, favorite hairstyle, everything uh, related to music um, because it's such a personal thing and it, and it speaks to people in so many ways. And I guess that's uh, a God-given thing. Um, that's one of his gifts to all people is, is the ability to relate through music and not just through spoken language um you know there's there's various ways that we have to communicate with each other but this is is such a powerful thing and so it so that became a very important thing for me is this is how i relate to the world and how i can say things that are too difficult to or maybe too emotional to put into just words um and then the second part of the question is you were asking about my guitar solos and um, I'm a little bit obsessive over details, and uh, I made a uh, um, maybe it was a, a foolish uh, decision at the time, but I was uh, so impacted uh, when Eddie Van Halen came on the scene and and did Eruption and. The whole first Van Halen album, but what people today don't understand is how mind-blowing and um, earth-shattering uh, that was in the year 19... When did that come out? 77 or 78? Thereabouts. Right, uh, right. And, and at that time, in the, in the guitar community, at least... People were really looking for, everybody was looking for that sound. And it was on the tip of everybody's tongue, and everybody wanted that. And there really wasn't much. Uh, you, you had some guys who could play. Um, Frank Marino uh, was pretty incredible. Robin Trower. You had the guitar heroes of the day. Michael Schenker. um and Jimmy Page, you know, and like if you listen to a Led Zeppelin record and it's like the songs are great and you, you could be a fan of the band, but it was very difficult to be a fan of the guitar just because it just the tone and everything else just wasn't really getting it done. And then along comes this Van Halen guy and everybody's like freaked out for, <laughs> uh, you know, it kind of changed the landscape. Um Quite a bit, and much the, you know, I pr pretty much before that. I mean, it's like you look on the cover of Guitar Player magazine now. It's like, it's like, well, it used to be all Jimi Hendrix, and now it's Jimi Hendrix and Eddie Van Halen. You know, splitting down the middle. Um, that's the kind of impact that Eddie had on on the guitar community, and certainly had an effect on me. And at that time, you know, I was a, uh, I was. Uh, in my mind, I was already contemplating my my forthcoming career as a as a guitar player, and I thought, well, you know, if it's good enough for Eddie, it's good enough for me. That's the gold standard. Um, if Eddie puts a solo on his album, then I have to uh, put solos on my album, win, lose, or draw. And it's good because that's pressure, 
you know, putting pressure on myself intentionally um, to try to, in, in my own way, um, you want to live up to your own standards. Uh, so I've, and that was kind of a vow that I made. It was like I took it a little bit too seriously at the time. Uh, and there has been times when working on a new record and I feel like, well, I don't really have anything more to say that hasn't been said, but when it comes down to it, you always find something. Um, there's, there's always a, there's always a new way to, to play the, uh, the same riffs. And that's one of the things I talk about with my students is that, um, you know, everybody plays on the same musical skills and there's about seven of them that we use as in rock guitar. And they, just with these seven skills, there's three or four lifetimes worth of music that's available to you just with that alone. So, uh, so I think, um, you know, that's, so that's my big motivation and my motivation as far as, you know, why do I have a, like a guitar solo on every album is cause, cause I kind of put, put that on myself and now I feel the pressure to live up to that. So there you go. Oh, wow. Rex, well, you use the, word language and as a language guy that that really just connected with me a few minutes ago and the difference between musical language versus uh, uh word-based language and the thing is obviously there's there's lots of languages right we could be singing around speaking yeah. french we could be speaking german or whatever why was the language for you back in that day in terms of expressing yourself uh blues-based rock hard rock uh and eventually metal why were those the languages for you well, because that's my era. I suppose if I had been born in the 1940s, I would have probably been into big band and and swing jazz, right? Um, so to an extent, you know, we're all like a product of the culture we come up in. But I'm glad you brought that up, Steve, because one of the things for me is is I find myself for the last several years, actually, uh, I, if I have to listen to the radio in the car, which is not that often anymore, um, I'm like searching out like the, the Spanish language radio. Um, I don't speak any Spanish, but I enjoy the rhythm of the words. Ah. Uh, I hear the music and I hear, oh, okay, I hear the same musical forms, the same chord progressions. Uh, and so forth, but the the way that the words phrase in different languages it keeps it that's like fresh, making it fresh for me. So I like the uh, I like the Italian pop music. I like the Spanish radio stations. Um, the German uh, stuff is at times it's pretty scary, but <laughs> you know, I have my I have my friends from. Sweden and uh, one day we were driving around in the car and they were in the back seat and I was getting very alarmed because my my friend Peter and his his wife uh, Eleanor they're in the back seat and they're talking to each other and I thought oh no this is terrible they're having a fight and I was feeling more and more distressed and I'm finally like what's the what's wrong guys you know what's the matter and they're like huh no we're just talking in Swedish. Oh, so, yeah. Oh, that's the way the <laughs> sounds. It's very, um, you know, it's got a whole different 
uh, cadence and a whole different rhythm. And uh, so, yeah, language is a big thing and music is a big thing. Um, but uh, there are things you can do with a, with a, a note on a guitar, depending on where, you, how you feel the note. If you, if you put your pick exactly on the right harmonic node, and some of it is hit or miss, um, so it's not like an exact science, but at times, um, if the tone is just right, and and if you just find that happy place in the moment, you'll get to you'll get the notes to make vowel sounds, and so. So then the guitar begins to speak, and it sounds almost like a human language, and that's really fascinating as well. So I enjoy all of that. Yeah, sure. Um, so, Rex, uh, one of the things um, that, that I was really intrigued by when I first started playing guitar was right – I was in high school, and uh, White Cross just came out. That's when my friend told me about Nagasaki. So mm-hmm. I, I so I read in an, in an article I think it was Heaven's Metal if I remember correctly at the time um, where they you mentioned that you were you had taught music and you mentioned that you had taken classical lessons growing up mm-hmm. and and going to college for a classical guitar performance right. and that got me really interested into classical guitar at the time because at the time I was just into metal I wasn't into any classical at all. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you? But you were into Randy Rhodes, right? Oh well, yeah. That that's where the connection came from. Well, you and him was it, was where I was able to see the classical uh, background. Um, because the problem was, we just wanted to, my friends and I, we just wanted to play the what what he was playing or what you were playing, and we and we didn't make it, connect the dots of what it took to get right. there. I guess I should say. Um, so how much of your classical training do you think prepared you for what you do now and what you've done for years and, and how does that connect and does it still connect for you? Uh, I think it's, there's a huge connection. Um, they can, I do remember, I don't remember a lot these days and that's very distressing to me, but, um, that's, that's the sometimes disease. It hasn't progressed to the, all the timers yet. (laughs) <laughs> but uh i do remember in the third grade they came around and they passed out the instruments they were recruiting for a band and orchestra and i they put a violin in my hands and it just felt right hmm. um i there it's hard to explain you know i just made a connection Right, right on on the spot. I made a, an intuitive connection to the violin, and uh, the violins come in different sizes. I think I started on a full size violin right away, and I just took that. Um, and I was also interested in the drums. Um, and my mother, who was, uh, <laughs> I think she kind of analyzed. The situation, she's like, okay, the kid, uh, he is determined to um, play the drums. So I, what can I do to put a stop to this? So I think she put a, uh, so she gave me a guitar for my 10th birthday, hoping that that would, uh, you know, stem the onslaught of the, the drumming all the time. Um, so I got the guitar. 
<laughs> on my 10th birthday, and I already had a background in violin for a few years before that, and I already knew how to read music, so I she gave me the guitar and a book, like the Alfred's Music uh, series. So I just started with book one, and I played through the whole book. After a couple weeks, I had finished off the whole book, done all the lessons in the book, so she signed me up for lessons at that point. And, uh, you know, I think, I think my mom, uh, felt that, you know, well, at least guitar is a little bit more respectable than the drums, but it, the plan kind of backfired on her <laughs> because then that rock band that I started after that, well, we always rehearsed in the basement at my house. So she never was uh, allowed to escape, you know, so I always had to from, uh, from about, uh, well, as soon as we got home from school, from about 3.30 until dinner time, that was uh, that was my routine. And then after dinner, I would get my homework done as quick as I could, and then I'd spend the rest of the time listening to records. Wow. And practicing my guitar and so forth. Uh, you know, you mentioned something earlier, Rex, that um, uh, you're talking about the holding the pick right to make a vowel sound and yeah uh, yeah and um you know something that uh, i just now started to realize because you know i've played for my whole life but i, I you know, i've never been able to um you know be get into it as far as i desired or you know god had different plans for me when i was in bands and things so forth in college but um I recently started to um, get more into the classical. My son's into that. We started we started playing for a classical guitar ensemble, and um, I remember one of the one time there was this classical guitarist that came through, and he said something I never thought of before, and it was all about the finger picking, right? You know, the mm -hmm. classical and, and the nails, you know, and so forth. And and he started talking about um, like one particular note in one piece should be played with flesh. The other one should be played with nail. Um, the other note should be played with combination. Yeah. And and I start thinking of I, that caused me to think that there is so much to this. When a musician of any instrument. Um, you can go as crazy as you want for it with it. And that's why I say there's three or four lifetimes just, in, just pick your style, jazz, blues, classical, any style you want, and you'll go through four lifetimes, and you will not get to the end of it. Wow. Just, it's, there's, yeah. just, there's so much. And, and yeah. the other thing that I was going to add to the uh, previous uh, conversation before I started uh, eminently rambling uh, <laughs> was that uh, all, all of my – training on the violin i mean i remember playing these etudes on the violin these technique etudes and a lot of these etudes were i i looked at them later on and i realized oh, you know why i didn't like playing these as a kid is because these are badly written um, <laughs> there's these books these for for teaching kids how to play violin and they have these etudes uh, you know, you, I would rather, I think it'd be more exciting to take an Yngwie Malmsteen guitar solo, trans, uh, transcribe that for a violin and let the kids learn from that. It'd be a, be a whole lot more entertaining. Fair. Sure. Yeah. But all of these, so all the stuff that I do, like when I do, when I was like 
trying to figure out things like the Nagasaki guitar solo and stuff like that is like, well, half of it is, is just what the bits and pieces that I can remember of like violin etudes growing up. And, and not, you know, all the, all the shredders talk about, uh, Oh, Paganini. Uh, you know, well, I never listened to any Paganini. I, I had no clue. Um, but I had my own, but I had my own, uh, background of growing up with these things so that's kind of what i was drawing from and and that so that shapes my thinking and then being a a music student at at the university level uh you learn a lot more forms and and you learned all the chord progressions that are common in western music and uh there is a it's there's a there's a there's a cultural heritage there that exists in your music whether you realize it or not. I mean, like the blues, for example. This is an American thing that is the heritage of every American guitar player, and only American guitar players can can play the blues. I've been to Europe. I've seen the European guitar players. They're amazing. And there are a lot, but when they think they're playing the blues, they're actually playing a lot of jazz fusion, and it's great, but it's it ain't the blues. Um, so, so music is it's your upbringing. It's in my case, it's the the classical music that I grew up with from school, more or less, and and yeah. Uh oh, my coronavirus—it's kicking in. <laughs> uh, so you have your upbringing, you have the music that you're exposed to, and you have your heritage, and and it's your in a, in a sense it's your birthright. So one of the big one of the big concepts for me that I enjoy these days is uh, music is geography, uh, and that that's. Okay that is undoubtedly a thing where you where you come from has a lot to say about who you will be as a musician um, that, that makes sense yeah that's that's one of my biggies i have a lot of biggies i got a whole list of them <laughs> that's one of them music is geography yeah rex so, i know so. one of the things we'll we're going to Touch on toward the end, uh, right toward the end of the. Uh, touch on it right now, if you want. Interview. No, 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 no. We want this to. We want this to go on. Uh, we're going to touch on um, and have you talk a little bit about uh, your uh, Skype classes or, or things that you do. Uh, but as long as we're talking about students and and you know kids learning and so forth, um, I'm going to ask this question, and it's got a personal connection for me, so because my son's 19 and he's just I've been playing guitar for maybe a couple years now. He's got a Yamaha acoustic. He's got a, uh, a Telecaster. What would you say to a young person who's just starting out? They're not majoring in music, say, at the university level, uh, but they're just sitting in their rooms. They're watching the YouTube videos. Uh, and literally, that's what my son does, and, and he's, he's big into the Beatles right now. Uh, he's listening to a lot of that kind of stuff. What would you say to that kid in terms of how to get better? I don't know. Is he learning? I, I think so. I, I enjoy what I'm hearing from him, but mm-hmm. 
and again, I'm just, just speaking from my experience as a dad yeah. with him, but just kind of in general, what would, what would you say to a kid who says, you know, hey, I'm not majoring in music, right? but I really well, enjoy this, was, and I want to get better. We're kind of, we're kind of getting into the uh, pedagogy, right? Mm -hmm. Did I say it right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's, it's, it has Latin root, uh, right, Steve? How, <laughs> how do you teach? Uh, because, honestly, what is alarming to me is just every every other day you go on your Facebook page and there's a 10-year-old kid playing uh, Eruption on the classical guitar, or there, there's some Japanese kid um, playing Bohemian Rhapsody on the classical guitar. And it's like, my goodness, you know, when, when we were 10, it was, it was do this little badly written etude, play this <laughs> five times in a row before you're allowed to go outside and play. <laughs> and since the, uh, since the onslaught of the digital era has come upon us, you now have all of these like child prodigies uh, that would have been considered a, a totally a prodigy like when I was young. And uh, I always worked on trying to be a fast guitar player. And it's like, goodness gracious, I can't keep up with what these 15-year-olds are doing. And it's like because they've grown up on like dream theater and like, They've seen the best, and well, you want to you want to see how something was done. Well, back in the the 1970s and the 1980s, there is nobody to show you how it's done. Uh, you have the record, and you got so you can just wear out the groove on your record and try to figure it out. And yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you won't figure it out correctly. You'll make mistakes, but that's how you develop your own style. And certainly that is how it worked out for me is, you know, I'm trying to, like, figure out all the guitar players of the day as I was coming up. And, you know, so I, I'm all I do anymore these days is I'm just recreating the sounds that are etched in my brain from when I was growing up. Uh, how do you, so a 19 year old who has a telly, um, you cannot go wrong learning how to play Beatles tunes. I mean, they, their music, uh, their musical um, chord progressions stand the test of time and that 50 60 70 100 years from now they'll still be standing the test of time they're just some amazing um varieties of and incorporating the chord changes and the voice leading and how things resolve and working tension and resolution all the principles of good composition they've got it um so there's nothing wrong with that, you know. So the more he listens to the Beatles I, and learns the chord progressions, I would say, well, that's, that's good information to have. Uh, and when I, I remember coming into uh, theory class at 
as a freshman on campus at university. And for the first couple of weeks, I was lost and I was like scared. Oh my God, I, I don't know if I can do this because they're talking about all these words, uh, perfect, perfect plagal cadence. It's like, what the heck is that? I have no clue what they're talking about. And then, uh, one day, uh, he goes, the teacher goes, well, here's a half plagal cadence. And I'm like, okay. Um, he plays it on the piano and I realized, oh, that's the chord progression from Brown Sugar by the Rolling Stones. And I'm like, oh, I already know how that goes because I, because I already learned how to play that on the guitar and I already understand, uh, intuitively where do you put that in the song. And then after that, um, that was good and it was bad because it was good because then I was able to relate things. Uh, I, I went to school, uh, for four years and they, every time they'd introduce a new concept, I always related it to, oh yeah, I know how that goes because band XYZ, um, I already learned how to play that. And I understand how it fits in pop music. So it was good in that sense that my ear was able to absorb it, but it was bad because then I was a horrible student. It's like, well, I already know what it sounds like. So, um, <laughs> so I didn't always do so well when they, when it came time to take the test. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Rex, you, you touched on something in your response there to Steve, uh, that kind of was leading to one of the questions I was going to ask you. Um, was um what is it that what uh, what concerns you about guitarists today and where do you see guitar playing going well <clears throat> here's another here's another one of my big picture things we're all becoming who we are and and meaning we're all getting more set in our ways and we're all doing the things that we really want to be doing. And, um, and it, as you look at where guitar is going, um, it's, it's a, it's a total explosion of, of the possibilities. I mean, there's more people who play guitar at rock star guitar level than ever before at any time ever. So in a sense, that's good. In another sense, it makes it harder to stand out in the crowd. Um, but people seem to have like the technical aspects. Kids seem to have it down. I mean, it's, it's jaw dropping to me, but you know, it seems like every 15 year old with a guitar, it's like you say, well, how about this Eddie Van Halen? Like, Hey, Van Halen, oh, that's my grandpa listens to that. <laughs> you know, I'm already on to, uh, you know, whatever. Some guy, you know, and they, they got these eight-string guitars now. Right. Playing right. And, and, like, tuning is just such a relative word. It's like, well, there's standard guitar tuning that's been standard for the last 300 years or however long the guitar has been around. Um, it's like, nah, tuning is like whatever you want it to be. You just make it up as you go along. It's like, there's the only rule anymore is that there is no rules at all. Um, yeah. And, and then, and then you've got like shredders and then you've got like Mumford and sons, right? 
So, so there's still people uh, strumming three chords on a guitar and somebody writes a hit song and, um, you know, then they, then they get a, a big fat record deal with a million dollar advance. So, so the, uh, the three chord pop artist is still there. Uh, and then, you know, it's, there's just so many ways you can go with the guitar and, and, and people, people get there. It doesn't take a lifetime anymore. It's like, it seems like the kids are figuring it out after like two or three years of, of working with the instrument and they've got it all down. They've got all the technique down and I don't know how they do it, but I guess it's just because, well, you, since the time you were eight or nine years old and you're really exposed to music on the internet that it, it, it connects, you know, it's like when your brain is forming those passageways, uh, for musical connection, um, so people are listening to dream theater and it's like, Oh, you know, it's not a problem. They just, they can play anything they want to play. So yeah. it's, it's a mystery to me. Um, but if your kid has a telly, I would tell him, uh, listen to some Brad Paisley. Okay. See what that does for him. I okay. mean, that's, that's the modern version of shred guitar for country music. That that would please my wife. She's uh, she's definitely more of a, a country person uh, than I am these days. Let's, I want to take us into your uh, work these days, though. Um, and I say these days. I'm going to say the last. Really, I hate to uh, I hate to believe this, but 25 years, um, almost 25 years since the first King James album oh, wow. uh, came out, <laughs> and so which is just blows me blows me away. Uh, but so. 1994, First King James, 2013, Maximus, um, incredible album, 2017, the White Cross Guardian uh, revival, and now we get uh, uh, the song Signs of the End uh, with White Cross 2.0 or or whatever that's going to maybe be called. Tell us about where you're going now uh, musically. Um, I'll just say from my end, it's been unbelievably powerful. Uh, rooted in that good, a lot of like just good blues foundation, uh, hard rock and metal, really classic hard rock and metal to me. Uh, but also it's got a, it's, it's certainly got a contemporary sound to it as well. So talk to us a little bit about where you're going uh, in your own work. Well, uh, I, I am who I am and uh, I can't change if I wanted to. I'm, I'm stuck in my, Everything I do seems to come back to where I always end up in the same lane, which is blues rock, uh, hard rock. And in 1987, when White Cross came out, it was like, oh, you guys are a heavy metal band. And then later on, it's like, oh, you guys are a pop metal band. Oh, you guys are like an L.A. style metal band. Now it's and like, no, you guys aren't a metal band. Metal is like it's a whole different thing. These days, I mean, what we, what I've done would now just be considered like classic rock, I guess. I don't know. Um, so I, uh, the more it changes, the more it stays the same. But I continue to learn um, things that are necessary to maintain uh, somewhat of a career uh, because. In the uh, in the analog world, you had 
record companies giving out budgets of, you know, six figure budgets to artists to record albums. Um, and I participated in that economy a little bit and, um, it was great, but I also, uh, had a, had a little bird sitting on my shoulder. It seemed like telling me, yeah, but this is not going to last. So you better learn, you better get your own studio going. So I've been building my home studio for the last, uh, well, 30 years, I guess. Um, almost 30 years. And so I've continued just to learn, uh, as a sidebar, um, even to the point where I get, I'm, I'm getting like calls for, from other bands who want me to like mix their, their music for them or, you know, helping, helping clients to produce their own music. Uh, they come to my studio and it's just, it's just a home studio, but except for the fact that I know what I'm doing and, I have uh, I have like the right gear to get the sounds quickly. So studios have gotten smaller, um, but uh, the knowledge that's that's required to create create sounds is is still needed. And so that's that's a major area that I've expanded into. But it's all in the name uh, in the interest of self preservation. I've tried to keep myself going so. I've needed my own studio in order to remain viable as an artist. And the King James Maximus album was the last time, what year did you say that was, 2013? 2013. Yeah. Um, that was the last time that I was uh, had the good fortune of having like a, a major budget to do a record, and I've got a little anecdote uh, to that project, which was when we started out, uh, our lead singer, Jimmy Bennett, um, and also the, the manager of the band at the time, Menno Zwiers, from um, Holland. Uh, they, they were both, oh, you got to get John Lowry in Nashville. Oh, he's the best. And I was like, oh, but I don't want our record to sound like a Petra album. Um, <laughs> no, but John, he's great. You got to, you got to. So I was very skeptical and, uh, uh, I was I was frankly against the idea at first, so I finally called him on the phone, and I said, "So, what kind of keyboard styles do you like?" And uh, I was expecting him to talk about, "Oh, I like Journey and Boston and Kansas and Sticks and all that kind of stuff, like semi semi proggy progish kind of stuff, because that's kind of the Petra sound." He said, "No, man, I'm into old Deep Purple, John Lord." I was like, "Oh, really? Okay." So then, so then we started. Then we started having an actual conversation, and then, as it as it turns out, as far as uh, within the uh, within the musical community, he's one of my very good friends, and we talk about a lot of things. And we had a fabulous time together working on that album. And um, I. Uh, I have enormous respect for John and, and he's helped me. So one of the things that I found out too, is that, is that you learn from everybody, right? And, and Steve, I'm sure that you would relate to this uh, in your, in your own studies, even when you're teaching students, you're always learning from your students, even while you're 
helping them along, along the pathway. So, you know, you're always learning from your peers and, and guys like John Lowry, I'm very, I count myself fortunate uh, to count them as my friends um, because we, uh, we talk a lot of things, music and, and philosophy of music and philosophy of life and, and just how God has worked in, in both of our lives and things like that. So that's really great. That was one of the, the cool things that came out of that project for me when we did that record. Uh, it, it's just, it's one of my, uh, I was telling uh, Wildman before we uh, got on the phone with you, just one of my all-time favorite albums, uh, just start oh. to finish. Uh, just, just love every, every track on it. Well, thanks so much. In, in fact, I'm going to steal another question. Well, man, I hate to I hate to do this, but I, you, you mentioned Deep Purple and John Lord, and I'm just geeking out over here. So, uh, <laughs> oh, come on, John Lord, got, got to ask, John Lord, come on, that's the that's, an that's the prototype. Purple. That's the prototype for rock keyboards, is it not? Oh, absolutely. How much of an influence was Purple uh, for you? Huge. I, I could hear as it. Matter all fact, the music, but as I just wanted to hear what you fact, had to say. Yeah. I can give you, I can give you uh, one of the indelible moments um, when Deep Purple played at the California Jam. And do you remember the scene, the part where Richie Blackmore, he shoved the guitar into Absolutely. the camera? Because yeah pissed off because the guy was like uh the camera was like up in his personal space too close yeah he jammed, the, jammed close. the neck right in the and, camera. And i guess they had been sparring for quite a while and uh you know how richie blackmore is um i mean that was my thing that i carried for decades people said oh that rex carroll guy he's got a richie blackmore complex you better watch out for him <laughs> um <laughs> But I see. I understand Richie. I know exactly where he's coming from. He's not a mean guy at all. Uh, he's shy and introverted on the one hand, but on the other hand, he cares about his music so much. And then he gets frustrated when the rest of the guys in his band don't care about it as much as he does. So then uh, mayhem will ensue. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, and he, you know, in that particular moment. He's got, you know, there's 250,000 people, and he is trying to do everything he can to put his best foot forward. And, you know, uh, the camera, Mr. Cameraman, is is interrupting the flow. So finally, he, he took matters in hand and uh, knocked out the camera. And at that moment, I was watching it on TV, and uh, I was like, okay, I want to be the guy who does that. <laughs> and that was it i mean i'm seriously that was that was the moment that was my push off of the cliff you wow. know if I, if I didn't know that it was trending that way already that was the um the final push over the cliff for me and it's been all downhill ever since i guess <laughs> wow great story great story <laughs> so so rex as a musician you know one of the things that Personally, I would say that I've noticed about you from being a fan of your your work and a fan of your bands over the years um, is that you I, I do sense there's a level of excellence that you 
once you, you set the bar high, you, you don't you don't want to just put put something out there unless it's something solid. Right. Um, what has that what has that experience as a musician been for you? Um, as far because I you have, to, we, you have to right because here's what I've learned: you send uh, uh, you make a crappy ass little demo tape and you send it to somebody and you explain to them till you're out of breath and blue in the face. Now this is only a demo. We only spent 14 minutes uh, whipping this little thing up, but this will kind of give you a little bit of an idea. Uh 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 uh. It doesn't work that way. Whatever you send out into the world, that's it. It's mm. it's permanent. It's forever. And there is no such thing as a demo. You know, uh, when you're making a demo for when you're trying to get a record deal, at least back in the old days, um, you're trying to get a record deal. Well, your demo, you know, and they all say the same thing. Oh. The quality doesn't matter. We can hear a we can hear a good song. Um, that's nonsense. Uh, everything counts. Right. You want, you want to put your best foot forward at all times, and you know, we live in a very unforgiving world. It's just just like football. I spend way too much time watching football. It's like whatever you did last year. Well. That's great. That was last year, but this is, this is, this is this year. So what are you doing? Like right now, um, whatever you, whatever I release right now is either it's either it's perfect or it sucks. And there's, uh, my impression is that you put out a, you put out a rock album and, right out of the box half the people say it sucks and then you know and then out of out of everybody else that's left it's like well it's it's okay but but the singer really sucks and then so that you know so now you're cutting it down some more and then uh and then the rest of the people that are left go well it's okay but you know i wouldn't turn it off i guess if it was on the radio and then out of the rest of the people, you know, well, his, you know, and then, and then the guitar players are going to instantly within, within, by the time they hear like one song halfway through, they've already made up their mind. Like either this is like the greatest thing they've heard since Randy Rhodes or it sucks. You know, it's like people just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Hey, you know, uh, the market is way oversaturated, so it's you can't. It's not like you can really blame people for having that mindset. So um, I learned a lot of great things from a performance coach named Tom Jackson, and and uh, one of the things that he taught me was uh, he was he was talking to me specifically. He said, "Rex, you have." about 30 seconds to reach the guy in the back row. And you should never worry about the people in the front row because the people in the front row are the ones who, as soon as they heard you were coming to their town, they got all excited and they camped out to be the first people in line to buy tickets. Um, Those are your diehard fans. You don't need to worry about them. 
said, you know, but there's some guy standing in the back of the room by the soundboard with his arms folded across his chest. And he's like, I've never heard of these guys. I'm only here because my girlfriend likes them or whatever. I don't know. You know, I'm sitting on the fence. Uh, he says, if you, you've got about 30 seconds to reach that guy. Mm. He yeah. said to me, yeah. he said, you have to project a sound from your guitar that reaches that guy. And it's, it's, it's somewhat metaphysical. I mean, it's like, you just have to create something yeah. that engages with that guy. And if, if you, if you reach him, then you, you've gained a new fan and, you know, and then your fans end up becoming your friends and your supporters. But if you don't, you know, if you let him sit for the first minute while you, while you play for the people in the front row, let's forget it. You're out. You've lost. Wow. Wow. You've lost out. And, and I have seen, um, I thought, well, that's, you know, that sounds like a lot of, uh, that sounds like something from a Netflix uh, TV movie or something. Um, but there's a lot of truth to it. It works. Uh, it's a mindset of, you know, create something that people can relate to. And I guess it's just, it's all about communication. Yeah. You know, so, this is the way I feel and this is the way that I want you to feel. And, and I have to make my point forcefully enough so that you can understand that from the back of the room. Yeah. Well, you, you know, Rex, when you talk about that, and and I, as I shared um, that you can really see your uh, tremendous effort coming through with every piece that I've ever heard you play, you know, as a fan, of course. Um, and there's a lot of notoriety that I personally think you deserve um, as far as... Uh, uh, as far as secular market versus Christian and white cross was always a tremendous, uh, uh, ministry for me. I remember when you first came out, I was just so excited because, you know, this was a Christian band that had this amazing guitarist. Um, uh, was, was there talk, talk a little bit about, um, the goals you had for white cross and maybe some obstacles that were in your way of, of, of achieving what you wanted to achieve. Mm. Well, a lot of the goals that we had when we started out, we reached some of those goals. Um, but I could say that I think that in my opinion, uh, that was God working uh, with the band in spite of us getting in the way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> As a group, we were, I knew that we had a sound between my guitar and, and uh, Scotty's vocal. Um, and I heard, I heard him right away. I said, oh, my God, this sounds like rats. You know, this is going to be awesome. Um, you know, and I said, hey, Scotty, you know, you sound a lot like Stephen Piercy. And he's like, who? He had no clue. <laughs> he never you know, And then I played a rat album for him. And he was like, what is that? No, I don't sound like that. He always rejected that, but the resemblances are uncanny. Um, I even got a call. Uh, we were working on our, our second album, and um, I got a call from uh, Fred Curry in the studio who played drums for Cinderella, 
And he's a man. Had this L.A. Hollywood voice. Uh, I'm just at a party here with Stephen Piercy, and he just wanted you to know he is so honored that there's a group that's trying to sound like Rat. And he's, he's just so honored. Oh, wow. Wow. I've never I had heard a, that story. I had, a lot of, wow. I had a lot of words coming through my brain that are not suitable for family consumption at this particular juncture. <laughs> so I will refrain. Um, wow. Uh, but, you know, uh, self-important, pretentious, um, you know, narcissistic rock stars. I've seen them, and uh, it's good to be. It's good to step back and not take yourself that seriously. Mm. Um. So uh, one of the, one of the things that was really amazing to me was last last year, and this is just a story. Uh, we went to India for the first time in my lifetime. And um, we had songs that that we didn't do. That we, had, we had a song. Um, the song was Simple Man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you about this, this little song. Uh, we were working on our third White Cross album. And at that point, everything that we were doing was coming up roses and... Um, so they kind of, at, at that particular moment, the record label was pretty much rolling out the, the red carpet for whatever I wanted to do. And I had this idea, well, uh, what would happen if I just started filling up, uh, tracks on a 24 track tape machine with my acoustic guitar? You know, how far can it go before it becomes a gnarly mess? Um, so I had an idea for a song, and uh, they let me start recording. And then uh, my my co-producer on that project, I, they they cut me off. I was overserved after 16, 16 tracks of acoustic guitar, and they said that's enough, Rex. You know, we're cutting wow. you off. I'm like, but 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 <laughs> like too late, you know. Um, so then we had this song and. So, yeah, so we just need to write the words. Uh, and Scotty heard it. He didn't like it. Um, he avoided it. He didn't want to do it. And said, no, we only, we only have, if we don't do this song, we only have nine songs for the album. We need ten songs for the album. So it wasn't getting done, and it wasn't getting done. So myself and Joey Powers, who owned the studio, and he was something of a mentor to me at that time, uh, I said, Joey, you know, can we can we work on this song together? So we had lunch, and then we sat down in a couple hours, and we worked out the lyrics. And uh, then there was a problem because it was in the wrong key for Scotty. So he tried it, and he said, this song is too low. I don't like it. This song sucks. And then uh, we're out, we were out in uh, East Orange, New Jersey, and then he went home. I was like, great. What do we do now? So we, we we thickened vocal a little bit by having me sing along with it. What I didn't know at that time is I had so much clout as a producer, I could have said, all right, well, we need to start 
we need to start over from scratch and re-record the whole thing from the beginning, even if it takes another week and we have to fly Scotty back out here um, to get this song right and put it in the right key for his voice. And we could have done that, but I didn't know at the time that we could have done that if we wanted to. When we turned the record in, it was under budget. Um, delivered ahead of schedule, under budget, and it sounded great, but that one song, so Scotty said at the time, he said, this song is terrible. We are never going to do this song live. Uh, so we never did. And then huh. and, uh, last year, we went over to India, and they were like, okay, so what everybody wants to know is, are you going to do, you know, when, when are you guys going to do Simple Man? And actually, uh, one of the organizers had warned me about this in advance. And I said, so what's so great about Simple Man? Why do you guys want to do this song? I said, oh, this is, this is the, the greatest song of our generation, entire generation of, of uh, people have grown up listening to this song. And I said, no, you got to be kidding me. I said, why? Wow. I said, because we, we teach it to our kids in Sunday school because wow. it's a very – it's a very simple and direct, uh, it's like a little template for how you can live your Christian life, which is exactly what it was when we wrote it. And wow. um, so we've got this whole generation of people that have grown up with this song on the radio, and they, you, you can play it on your guitar. It's very easy to play. Um, and so then we did that song, and it was such an incredible um for me personally that was like a it was kind of like a validation of of well this is what we set out to do we wanted to make music that would mean something to people and hopefully uh point them towards the lord and uh be something that god could use to to minister to people wherever they're at and and that's what it continues to be for me. Um, so I'm I'm very happy to have had a small part to play in the fabric of how God does things in the world. He chooses to use people. You know, it's like the way I look at it. It's kind of like this: you can praise Him now, or you can praise Him later. He doesn't need you to praise Him. He can get an inanimate object in the room to to open its mouth and give him the glory. Um, but he chooses to allow us to have that privilege. Um, but, but the bottom line is, you know, he will get his, his glory, uh, and you will give it to him, uh, either now or later. Um, so no, no one is exempt from that. So I just choose to give it to him right now. Wow. Wow. You know, you know, Rex. That that's an, an incredible story because um, I I remember when that song came out, and I remember distinctly um, listening to that album. And that song at first kind of threw me because it just didn't it didn't seem like a the, yeah. the typical White Cross song, you know. Very unlike um, the rest of the camp. Yeah, but but you're right though in the message. You know, I'm a simple man, and I love the Lord. Um, you know, it, and it's amazing how God does that for anybody who's in ministry or teaching and like in Steve's field, 
um, here you are going to India and here these people are, and you had no clue that that, what that song meant to them. That's, that's just, uh, that, 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 that's a powerful testimony, but I must ask as a guitarist, how many tracks did you end up with guitar wise on that song? Uh, well, they cut me off after 16 tracks. I wanted to keep going. So there was 16 on the track that we listened to today. Yeah. And then they said, and then they said, you're overserved, you know, we're cutting you off. <laughs> now, were they, were they harmonizing? We're, we're, calling, uh, we're calling Uber. We're sending you home. <laughs> okay, I didn't have Ubers back then, but that was more or less the gist of it. Because you know, I, I would have stayed there all night and just kept piling up tracks. Wow. Were, were they all harmonized, or were they like the same just to give uh, some depth to the sound? Um, when you did the tracks, do you remember? Well, you know, there's um, one of the misconceptions of beginning guitar players is is that there's like there's two ways to play every chord depending on where you're at on the fingerboard. There's like two different styles of bar chord, um, either right. the six string right. bar chord or or the interior like the four string. E chord that you would play at the seventh fret uh, on the four strings on in the middle, and that's that's the common misconception. The reality is that there is like there is like 19 ways from Sunday to play that E chord up and down the fingerboard, different combinations of strings, two strings, three strings, four strings, five strings. It doesn't matter. There's all kinds of ways to do it. So that that was a factor that came into play. It's like, okay, I got the same chord progression. So every, every time they would stop and rewind and go back to the beginning of the tape, it was like, Hmm, okay. I would just have a little thought. How else, uh, what kind of variety can I bring to the chord progression? Um, wow. and in that way, we piled up, you know, a lot of tracks. Um, but it is, it is kind of good. And, and here's a little tip for uh, you guitar players that are playing in the uh, worship band on Sunday morning. Uh, and this is actually one of my best tips for the electric guitar player. Uh, get out of the way of the keyboard and like uh, the worship leader who is sitting there with his acoustic guitar. He only knows four chords anyways. And he just moves up and down the fingerboard and keeps continues to play the same four chords. Um, so as an electric guitar player, uh, what you want to do is get away from that because you're going to hit the same G chord uh, at the third fret that the that the worship leader is playing on his acoustic and the keyboard player uh, who's just an average musician is is playing their g chord right in the middle of the keyboard so the net result is that all three of you are competing for the same sonic frequency space in the mix yeah. and yeah so the sound and can't do anything with that it just sounds like a muddy mess in the the mid-range in the middle and then what is what also compounds the problem is that average musician, uh, not particularly paying attention to where is the downbeat. Uh, so everybody hits the, the chord 
at not precisely exactly at the same time. And on the drum kit, that's called a flam. And so if you're all flamming on the rhythm, like hitting the rhythm at slightly different times, it's like when a group of singers, they cut off and everybody goes, has a different cutoff point with their voice. So it's important for musicians to all hit the chord at exactly the same time. So again, as the electric player, what you can do is when the guitar player hits his G chord and the keyboard player plays the same notes in the same frequency range as the acoustic guitar, what you can do is go find a little inversion higher up on the fingerboard. And, you know, whereas the other guy is playing six notes, you only play top, you only play three notes, but you play on the top strings and then you make a, you weave a little melody into it. Um, and so you get to play all the high sparkly, pretty bits that people go, Ooh, what's that? You know? And, and so you're like the cotton candy on the top. Um, and, uh, and things will work out much better and they'll have a much better sound in your band. Yeah, that, that makes, that makes sense. And I just want to throw a commercial out there for you. Anybody out there listening, who's never heard simple man, it is on the triumphant return album. And uh, now that you've heard Rex explain it, I think it's going to mean a lot to you understanding how much um, went into that uh, to that song. I, I know when I first heard that Rex and I listened to it, um, you know, because just about every song you did, I was there with my guitar, with my Washburn and my small amplifier trying to figure out what you were doing. And that was the one song I was like stumped, I, I was stumped I on that one. <laughs> I, I go back and I listen to my songs and I go, what the heck was I doing over there? I don't remember. <laughs> but but I, I was still so stumped. We learned I like, songs. I, I, I was saying, is that a, is this a 12 string? What is he doing? I, I could not figure it out. So now at least after all these years, I'm, I'm able to hear you explain why I couldn't figure it out. Cause I was trying to do it on just one guitar. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rex, we've, Appreciate you so much with this uh, with this show. Could you just give a little plug here for yourself? Um, there's people that want to learn from you, and you've already given some tips, like you just did with the uh, uh, with worship band. Um, you know, the kid who's just learning guitar earlier. You talked about that, uh, and we know that you've given some Skype lessons and some things. Um, what would you want to put out there uh, to let people know that you make available? Uh, to somebody who says, hey, I want to learn, but I want to learn directly from Rex. Mm -hmm. Well, what I can tell you is that um, I am the most easygoing guy in the world. And when I started out, oh, yeah, I had that Richie Blackmore complex. You know, I was walking around and there's a gray cloud there was a black thundercloud hanging over my head everywhere I went. And, and at times, you know, people just knew I'll stay out of his way because he's, he's about to explode on something. Uh, and then uh, I don't know what happened, but at some point I realized, man, I'm, I'm setting myself up for an early heart attack or something. And I just, I got away from that and I'm glad that I did. Um, uh, and I just had to realize, no, you know, people give you what they can give you, and and that's just it, and that's just the way the world is. Um, and with my students, um, 
it's the most relaxed environment ever and have infinite patience. Uh, I don't mind going over things three or four times, whatever it takes uh, to get it right. And I also learn, as I'm sure you have, Steve, uh, as well, that uh, in my younger years with teaching, um, I tended to, to be very dogmatic. Well, here's the way you you do this uh, picking on this particular thing. It's like, well, why is that the right way? Well, because that's the way I do it, and, and it works, so this is the right way. And there is no other way. There's my way, and there's only my way. Um, and then after many years, I learned that now nah, people learn different ways, and you have to be uh, smart enough when you're trying to help someone along in their own journey through music, at least, that um, everybody's perception of what they're hearing is a little bit different. And so you have to just meet people where they're at and and then bring them along uh, so that they can make, you have to find a way that, that they can connect the dots in the way that's best for them so that everybody is able to elevate to the place where they want to be. And, and as a teacher, you're, you're just there to, uh, to help out and to give them ideas that will help them and where they're trying to go. So my lessons are, uh, they can be quite intense. And, and as a student, you know, you have to do the work. If you want to get better, you will have to practice. Um, and it is not true that practice makes perfect. It is only true that perfect practice makes perfect. You have to practice the right things. Um, so my job as a teacher is to help you discover the things that work for you. And, um, you know, and then, and then beyond that, there are musical concepts that we can all agree on. So, so it's easy for me. I have a good time with my students and, um, you know, that's, that's my teaching style. That's the way I do it is I, I just try to meet people where they're at and help them get to the next level. Is there a way for, uh, just a, a quick way for people to get in touch with you? Is it totally uh, through Facebook or, uh, Twitter or how, how would you recommend that? I have, I have a website, um, which, which actually works. My website's been down for a long time. I got to so I'm guilty of not keeping it current, but that's one way that people can get in touch with me is through my website, rexcarolmusic.com. Um, and otherwise, uh, I'm always, uh, I'll, I'll check my Facebook messages once a day. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. It's like, you know, when you're, when you're trying to find, you know, you're sometimes you sit back and you go, Oh, I wonder what Eddie Van Halen is doing. Oh, I don't know. Let's, Let's uh, send him a message on Facebook and see if he answers. Like, no, nah, he's not on Facebook. Or if he is, he's got an assumed profile, and you're not you're not on his friends list. So, you know, there are there are people that are that make themselves uh, unaccessible, um, and then there's other people who just choose to be available. And I'm all I'm the easiest guy in the world to get a hold of if you're looking for me. Great. So, uh, 
know, Rex, as we're kind of winding down here, um, Steve had uh, alluded to it earlier. Um, you know, we all, many of us, um, were enthralled when we saw that video come out a couple weeks ago, I think it was. Um, I don't know. Yes. Exactly. Uh, 2.0. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, tell us. Why? What, what's what great about it? Tell me, <laughs> tell me what, what, what was it that rocked your world on it? Do we have another hour uh, for this show? <laughs> yeah. uh, dude, um, the sound, I, I, and I don't know that I've got great vocabulary for this. It's, it's to me, that classic 80s rock, but somehow you know that it's absolutely here in the 21st century. It's, it's I don't know. It, it's, got the, it's got the punch. It's got the... Um, the, 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 the just punch in the gut that we want. Uh, great vocalist. Um, I don't know. Tell us a little bit about that fellow, uh, Dave Roberts. Am I right? Yep. Tell us a little bit about uh, him. How you get uh, connected with him? <laughs> Cause I'm in the business and he's in the business. He's singing in tribute bands down in Dallas. And, uh, my drummer who, lives down there towards Dallas. Uh, he, he found out about him and, uh, he got us connected. And so just after, uh, I've known Dave for a couple of years and, and then it just kind of came out that, uh, we were looking for a singer and we talked to him about, uh, trying it out with us. And he's, I was like, I, practically fell out of my chair when he said, yeah, he wants to do, um, the white cross band. So, so I'm hoping that it will work out, uh, because I think I, the, I think his vocals sound killer. Um, I love what he does vocally. So, um, stay tuned, you know, it's like, where is it going to end up? I don't know. So for now we're treating it as, he is the guest vocalist with the band, and and um, if it doesn't work in the long term, at least it's going to work in the short term. Um, but we are very hopeful that uh, it'll end up being a long term thing because obviously, you know, you hear what he can do uh, vocally, and it's a great fit with our music so that's it. It, it it's a perfect fit uh are you are you guys working on material for an album uh we have one new song well well now here's where you know our our wonderful friend the uh, coronavirus comes into play uh we're supposed to play at the capstone festival on june 26 so yes assuming we don't get derailed uh, from the virus thing, um, and I'm very hopeful that we'll get past all of that. Uh, you know, basically the state of Illinois is shut down right now. I live near Chicago, um, so we're shut down, and a lot of places are shut down right now. Uh, so, but assuming that we're back in business by then, um, we'll have the festival, and that will be uh, Dave singing with us there, and then. And then uh, from there, we're going to start uh, booking more gigs. And we have a new song that we're going to debut at the Capstone Festival, Lord Willing. And, um, you know, 
fun and games, business as usual. Well, that's also, I know Wildman and I are talking about going to Capstone. Rexon for Arsenal and Mayhem and Madness ensue. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That Capstone lineup looks great and uh, another one. Yeah, uh, I think uh, when I talked to uh, Sean with the festival and, and their goal is to recreate the vibe from uh, the early days of the Cornerstone Festival. Awesome. You know, they want to they stay true to that, that rock edge and, and uh, not get overloaded on things either. So, so yeah, so... Um, I, I hope that that's, that's a festival that I really hope, uh, has a lot of success. Yeah. We're, we're both hoping to be able to see you there once this, uh, virus, virus thing goes away. Right. Yeah. Uh, many people would, as soon as the video came out, Rex, uh, you should know that many of us were talking to each other through Twitter and, uh, uh, there was several talking about taking uh, lengthy road trips to come and see this band. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm going to leave it with uh, one last question just for straight up fun. Uh, here you go. Um, Zeppelin or Purple? <laughs> come on, dude. Be Purple. Wow. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing I love Led Zeppelin but um, Deep Purple was I don't know I, I connect I'll put it this way I uh, connect to the, the songwriting style and there's something about like a Richie Blackmore guitar riff that um, speaks to me and this is the thing, you know, this is what's so great about music is, you know, you can come back and argue, oh, Zeppelin, dude, all day long and twice on Sundays. Well, that's fine, you know. So, and I don't dislike Zeppelin. You know, it's not an either or, it's both and. But uh, I would definitely, you know, my Desert Island thing would be Deep Purple. So that's just me. You know, that, that's kind of how I relate. And there's a bit of the... Um, the the classical music element, I guess, you know, John Lord, again, I'd say that's, you know, him and him and Richie Blackmore to working it, working off of each other. That was, uh, I'm sure they inspired each other and pulled the best out of each other. That's what I think happened. The sum is greater than the whole is the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. I asked that question to Michael sweet from striper and, and he said the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, let's not forget about UFO and Michael Schenker. Oh, definitely. <laughs> you gotta. If you're gonna talk about classic rock from the '70s, you know, can't forget about Schenker. Mm-hmm. So. So so Rex, uh, my final question would be this: from a guitarist perspective, Les Paul style or Strat style? Well, they're both great, and uh, it's really cool. Like when you watch the videos of um, Randy Rhodes when he's like, "Do you know there's a little thing you can do like with your Les Paul? It's got a glued-in neck, right? So, 
if you're careful, you can you can push the neck out and and push the uh, the top heel back and you'll get it to make a little a little uh, like a pseudo whammy bar effect. Oh wow. Um but if you end up if you end up snapping the headstock off because you start <laughs> well, you know, stay you can't help you can't come back to me and say it's your fault. Um so and you watch uh, like if you see the video of, of uh, Randy Rhodes in the studio doing crazy train and you watch him bending the neck on his Les Paul guitar, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. He, so. he got a lot out of that. And then the other guy that I like with a Les Paul had to be John Sykes in that white snake era that was amazing as well mm, mm. and then maybe you know maybe the greatest les paul guitar player for me personally would be gary moore okay now if you're not familiar with gary moore um well just go start checking him out uh huge Gary Moore is the, the combination of the Les Paul guitar played through the Soldano amp, and that is that's the definition of huge guitar tone. Um, but you know, and that's the thing with Michael Schenker is is like wow the uh, the tone that he got from his Flying V. Um, I I went and I got myself a Dean Flying V just because of the uh, Schenker influence. Um, Oh, wow. But I've always played, uh, historically, I've always played the uh, Strat body shape because that contoured heel, it doesn't, you know, one thing about the Les Paul is it'll, it, it'll dig right into your rib cage. Um, yeah, yeah. Unless you're Jimmy Page and you wear the guitar down around your knees. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's one solution, right? Right, um, right. But uh, if you're average Joe guitar player like myself, it's like, well, I, I tend to favor the, uh, at the end of the day, I always come back to the Strat and the Strat style body shape. So, and the wow. bolt-on neck, the bolt-on neck seems to me to be a, a good idea as far as engineering wise. Like if you need to, um, you know, if you get like crazy weather, and you need to recalibrate the neck. Um, it's a little easier to do if it's a bolt-on. Um, whereas if it's a set neck that's glued in, well, then you're you don't have as much flexibility in that way. But of course, different sound. But I find that a lot of the tone is really has to do with uh, the fingerboard. So yeah, yeah, a rosewood fingerboard has a much different tone than a maple fingerboard. So. You know, I, 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 ironically, Rex, I just, uh, about three or four weeks ago, I just upgraded to a Les Paul and uh, uh, a Gibson Les Paul. And so I'll try that neck thing. But if you want to send me a, a waiver that for me to sign that you're not responsible for any advice, <laughs> um, I'll be happy I'll, to sign that for you, I suppose. I'll but, consult with uh, Alex over in the legal department and he'll get that out to you right away. <laughs> 
<laughs> and you know something else I just wanted to mention about what you just said, and and I know that uh, I I don't want to embarrass anybody or anything, but Steve, did you hear? Did did we just hear uh, Rex Carroll say he's an average Joe guitarist? Is, is that what I just heard? Because I, I, I didn't hear that. Yeah, I, I didn't hear that. <laughs> yeah, we just erased that from our mind when we heard you say that. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, Rex, thank you so much for the time. Um, you know, Steve has said it, and I'll say it as well. Um, huge fans of yours. Um, we we admire your work, admire your um, your uh, uh, commitment to excellence, and all the work that you've done. Everything that you've done comes out tremendous. Um, and we just thank you for all that you've done and how you've impacted our lives and how you've impacted many lives that are out there. Well, thank you. And you're welcome. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Um, it's really an honor to, to do this show with you guys. And I wish you all the best with it. All Thanks, right, well, man. Great. Yeah, great, sir. Thank you very much. And, uh, folks, thank you for listening. And um, and you, you heard how he's he's very easy to get a hold of. Go to rexcarrollmusic.com and you'll be able to uh, uh, see what he has going, um, his teaching. You can become one of his students and, uh, and you, and you can see speak, everything he has going on. If you want to speak with me directly, chances are Facebook is probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Okay. All right. So Facebook is the easiest way, folks. So So make sure to find him on Facebook and contact him there. So everybody, thank you for joining us, and uh, we will see you again soon. Thank you for listening to this interview with Rex Carroll. One of the takeaways from what Rex shared was the amazing story about a song that he had written many years ago called Simple Man is now something that he discovered when he went to India. He found out that they're using that song for discipleship. We never know the efforts that we put in for God how he is going to use them for his glory, beyond whatever we could imagine. The Apostle Paul says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we are able to ask or think. Thank you, everybody. We will see you again next time.